This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com And very, very famous um, question. And the question is that at the end of last week's parasha, it says that um, they were in ur Kazdim. In fact, we're going to learn a little, an interesting um, desire on this. So they, they were in ur Kazdim and... Rashi and the Mephoshim bring down that what was Or Kazdom, Or Misfire, right? Kazdom was the name of a place that they had this huge furnace, this huge oven that they created and they took up Ramavinu and they actually threw him, they actually catapulted him into this furnace because at first they tried to walk him there and the people who walked him died because it was so hot. So Nimrod came up with an idea to shoot, you know, those, they used to shoot stones over the walls. So that they're gonna, they took up Rabbi Vito, put him in a catapult, and they shot him into this, um, into this oven. So, the Torah does not say one word about this whole story. Doesn't talk about Nimrod, doesn't say Nimrod threw him into a fire, nothing. It just says, Ur Kazdom. So because it said the word Ur, fire, light, there's a whole medrash that, that, that speaks about this. But then the Torah, this week's parasha, right? That's like at the end of last week's parasha. Um, the la- second to last parasha. He went out with them, may or them, to go to, to, to Eretz Canaan. This is second to last parasha in, um, in last week's parasha. There's nothing about it at all. Then, this week's parasha, there's a very big test. Hashem says to Abraham, you know, go. For yourself, lech lecha, go for yourself. Lech um, equals lamet chaf in the gematria. Lamet is a 30, and chaf is a 20, so lech equals 50. And lecha, which is the same letters, lamet chaf, also equals 50. Hashem was telling Avram, Avram was 75 years old. Hashem was telling him, lech lecha, go for yourself, because if you leave this land and you go to Eretz Yisrael, then you're going to have another hundred years. Lech lecha equals fifty plus fifty equals another hundred years. And this is a big test. How many psukim? One, two, three, four, five. Five psukim about this whole test that he had to leave his uh, leave his environment. So the question is, the Torah doesn't even tell us that he was willing to give up his life to go into a furnace for Hashem. It doesn't even talk about that. Isn't that a bigger test? Then Hashem telling you to um, to leave your family, you leave where you, where you lived, and go and where I'm. First of all, altogether, we don't understand. We don't understand why this is a test. Hashem told Abraham, Abraham had no children, right? Hashem comes to Abraham and says, "Listen, here's the deal. If you leave, right, your land, where you were born, and your family, and you go to the land that I'm going to show you, the Eschalagoy Gadol." I'm going to make you into a huge nation. You don't have any kids. Hashem's telling him, I'm going to make you into a huge nation. Could you just move over? Could you just move over? Because Ruth... So you can sit over there because Ruth sits over here. I say thirsty. Okay, but she sits in front. Okay, you can sit. Eye to eye. Hi, Ruth. How are you? We just started. Okay. So we kept your seat open. It's even warm. So, um... So... The question is, what kind of test is this? Hashem's telling him that where you're going, you're going to become a big nation. You're going to have children. Right? That's called the God. I'm going to make you a huge nation. I'm going to bless you. 
I'm going to make your name great. And it's going to be a blessing. And anyone who blesses you will be blessed. And anyone who curses you will be cursed. And the whole world is going to be blessed because of you. So he went, he went like Hashem told him. If Hashem came to anyone in this room and told you that I want you to go somewhere, right, I want you to move to Florida, you didn't have any children, you had no money, you didn't have a job, you had nothing, and Hashem came to you and said, I want you to move to Florida, to this and this place, and when you get there, you're going to have, get married, you're going to have children, you're going to be rich, you're going to be famous. You're not going? You're like, no, I'm not. that's a test? So why is this considered a test altogether? And it's interesting because the Medrash, Medrash Rabbah or the Medrash Tanchuma, I think it's the Medrash Rabbah. The Medrash Rabbah says that this test is called the test, the first test is as great as the test of the Akedas Yitzchak. How can you compare the two? The Medrash says, how do you know? Because here it says, Lech Lecha Me'atzecha Me'atzecha And over there, by the, by the, when he went to Har Maria, it also says the, the same words. It says the words Lech Lecha. This is not, this, this only has Bereshit in it. It says the same word that says Lech Lecha, right? Where does it say Lech Lecha over there? Let's take a look. The end of the passage by Yehra. Take your son as as Yitzchak, your only one. Asher after that you love as Yitzchak, the lechlecha el Eretz Maria. So the two lechlechas, lechlecha here, lechlecha there, are equal. Come on, leaving your house and your family, going to become rich and famous, is the same test as taking your son and shechting him. What's going on over there? How could that be? Why is it such a big test? So, I have been speaking about this. This happens to be, I just got off the phone. That's why I was late here. I was talking to a, a therapist in an emergency situation, whatever it was. Um, I spoke about this last night. I spoke about it the night before. So I think there's something very important. This is what I really want to teach you tonight. Um, I think it's a very important thing to, when you're a mother, a teacher, or anybody, you need to know this. Okay. So, why was this a test? First of all, the other test, where we went into a fire, and he, right, for Hashem, so the reason that the, the Torah doesn't talk about it, so there's two reasons for that. One, we don't want to, we don't want to teach Judaism that Judaism is suicide. If, if the Torah would tell us that Avram Avinu passed the test because he jumped into a fire, it sounds like Hashem wants us to jump into a fire. So we don't, the Torah doesn't want to talk about someone who was willing to burn to death, right, to, to, to serve Hashem. It's not, that's not Judaism. That's not Judaism. So a big rope said that, why is this a much bigger test? To die for God takes a moment. To live for God takes a lifetime. So here with Alech Lecha, with Hashem wanting to live for God, much harder than to die for God. For die for God is one second, you make a decision and you jump into a fire and that's it. And the second's over and it's all over. Life's over. But to live your whole life for Hashem, it's a much bigger test. It's much harder and it's a much bigger test. So the Torah talks about living for God, not jumping into, not, not being thrown into a fire. So, why was this a test, even though Hashem told him that he's going to have children and that everything is going to work out? And the answer is the following. I did a lot of work on this, I did a lot of studying on this, and, and I, I'm not as Gaiva, this is such a fact that I found out in the last couple of years that it's so true. 
Um, and I'll explain to you what. So, it's brought down in the Medrash in Beresha somewhere. I saw it in a few svarim. Like, like, God created us as human beings that we, different human beings need, need different environments. Because if we all needed the same environment, we would all live in the same place. And the world would not be populated. If we all liked hot weather, right? So we would live in the Middle East. No one would live in Alaska. Nobody would live in Buffalo, that's for sure, right? Or in Albany, or in upstate, or, you know, or in, in the Alps, anywhere that is cold. So Akash Baruch created us that we all were sort of like a habitat, like, like, like when you, when you, um, in the zoo, and you look at, you want to see the grizzly bear? So he's in, he's in a, in a cave in a different place than you're going to see, uh, the giraffe, right? Every, cause you have to, the, the whole, <clears throat> the whole thing of a curator in a zoo is to create a habitat that the animal is, is, is happy. I, I used to be, I used to have a lot of fish tanks. So we had, and my, I was very into seahorses. Don't ask me. I used to mail them to you. It's, Used to get them in the mail in a plastic bag. It was very cool. So, so they're saltwater fish. So to keep saltwater fish, the the pH, the alkaline, and the pH of the water, and you have to have coral. You have to create a habitat that the fish are in their environment. If they're out of their environment, they're going to die. So, you go to any nature preserve, the giraffe. You know, you you go on a safari in in, in Great Adventure. So the lions have, it looks a certain way, and, and, and the, and the ostriches have, it looks a different way, and they have to create all these different habitats. Why? Because the way Hashem created us is that we're all environmental. So each, each of us need a different type of environment. Now, because of that, we're all over the world. Some people like hot, some people like cold, some like rain, some people like snow, some people like, like me, like Florida, I like it warm. I don't like snow, I don't like skiing, I don't like ice, I like it warm. Some people are like, ugh, I hate that humidity and that heat, I would never live there. I love where it's cold, right? So we're all over the world, and, and Hashem created this environment. Now, what I have found, specifically as being a teacher, and, and, and working with kids, so, one of the biggest problems today, is that most, most in, in a lot of the therapies, they're dealing with the symptom. The girl's anorexic. The girl is cutting. The girl is depressed. Uh, the girl tried to commit suicide. So we have to do this. We have to do that. But the truth is that all those are symptoms of what's really going on. It's not the disease. Something caused the girl to be depressed. You don't wake up depressed. Okay? Something happens. So, so where I find it a lot is in religion. You have this kid and the parents are like, oh my God, I, I want to understand. My daughter came home from camp. She doesn't want to go to school. She doesn't want to go to school. She doesn't want to talk to anyone. And she asked me if I maybe could sleep in her room at night. She's nine years old or 10 years old or 11 years old. If I could sleep in her room at night, she's very scared. That says to me that something happened in camp. In other words... When someone comes to me and says, my, my daughter doesn't keep Shabbos, she's not eating kosher. I'm like, when she was five, did she keep Shabbos? Yes. When she was eight, did she keep Shabbos? Yes. When did she stop keeping Shabbos? What age? Ten years old. What happened? She just walked in and said, I'm not keeping Shabbos? Yeah. I don't want to keep Shabbos anymore. I don't believe in God. So I'm like, okay, so let's take a look. We do the graph. One years old, two years old, three years old, five years old, eight years old, nine years old, all of a sudden, boom. She doesn't want to go to school anymore. She's very in her room a lot, very quiet. She's wetting her bed. There's a lot of, 
any, there's a lot of symptoms, a lot of, right? Something changed. Go to the graph. Look at when it changed. Find out what happened then. And you will be able to fix the problem. Don't find out what happened then. We're going to have all these symptoms through her life. We're going to fix this symptom. It's going to pop out this way. My, my favorite example is the lady who goes to the doctor and she has a terrible rash. And the doctor looks at the rash and says, it must be very itchy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Go to, the, go to CVS. Get calamine lotion, right? Or cortisone cream. Put it on the rash. We'll stop itching. She goes home. She puts on the cream, calamine lotion with the cortisone. She stops itching. She's like, I have the best doctor. He's brilliant. Next morning she wakes up, she has diarrhea. Terrible cramps. She's flipping out. She goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you got to go back, Pepto-Bismol and some Kaopectate. You'll be fine. Oh, amazing. Stopped. Next day she has fever. She goes back to the doctor. She says, oh, you got to take, you know, you, you, you got to take some Tylenol. You know, you got to get rid of your fever. Takes the Tylenol. Fever goes away. Oh. Next day, she has a crazy headache. Goes back to the doctor. He says, you got to take Motrin. So she's got Kaopectate, Motrin, Pepto-Bismol. She looks like an Indian, right? She's got all this stuff painted over because of her rash, right? And Lamaisa, it's going to get a lot worse because actually, this great doctor is going to kill, is going, is going to kill her. Why? Because all he needed to do when she walked into the doctor's office is take a strep culture. Because those are all the symptoms of strep. And had he taken a strep culture, there'd be a little plant growing in the Petri dish, right? And he would know she has strep, and he would send her for one antibiotic, actually, just for one type of antibiotic, a Z-Pack, right? Four days. Four days, Z-Pack. None of those symptoms. They're all gone. So he's a good doctor. He's the worst doctor. He's the worst doctor because he treated the symptoms. He didn't treat the disease. And strep, chastrashalm, untreated, goes into the blood, goes into the bones, goes into the heart, rheumatic fever, and it'll kill you. It'll kill you in the end. So, the reason that children, people, change drastically from one moment to the other is because somebody pushed that person out of their environment. We do not voluntarily step out of our environment. So if I'm a kid who grew up with wearing a long skirt, going to Beis Yaakov, um, eating challah, eating uh, soup, and having Purim, putting on a mask, and having sukkahs, and having Pesach, and having Hanukkah, and having cheesecake on Shavuiz, and having a family, and making brachis, and that child all of a sudden says, I don't believe in God, I'm, we- I'm wearing pants, I don't want any part of this. It doesn't just happen. And that's a fact. No one just wakes up in the morning and says, I don't like this environment. I'm out of here. Just the opposite. We love our environment. We love to, we're very comfortable in our environment. In fact, even kids that go off the derech, right? One, one of the problems, one of the problems in the Hasidic world where kids go off the derech is that the environment of a Hasidic environment is payas and a beer. It's not a problem. I'm just saying it's one of the problems that I have dealing with these kids because the Hasidic environment is a look, there's a way, there's a way that you look. So even if a kid wants to come back, he went off the derech and he doesn't keep Shabbos, he doesn't keep anything. But now he wants to keep Shabbos and he wants to go to a shir once a day and he puts on, he wants to put on his tefillin, but he wants to wear a blue shirt and jeans, right? And a, and a kippah, struga, whatever it is. He's not accepted because that environment doesn't accept that. 
So he can't really get back to the environment that he came from. And that makes him extremely uncomfortable. Unless we create an environment for such kids where it becomes a new environment. That's the street. See, the street is an environment that, see, in the old days, kids did not go off the derech because they had nowhere to go. What does it mean they had nowhere to go? We, we, we need to belong. So there was no street environment. Today, is a huge street environment. So when a child gets pushed out of his, his environment, he enters an environment which is very unhealthy, right, but extremely welcoming. And when I talk to kids who come back all the way, they're like, Rebbe, I have to tell you that when I was a bum, when I was hanging out, when I was with girls and I wasn't keeping Shabbos, I was eating treif, you should know I wasn't happy. I was never happy. I'm so happy to be back. Why are you so happy to be back? Because we're creatures of our environment. When you leave your environment, if someone pushes you out, you're not, you're not comfortable. Even, even though you, you, you moved to Florida, but you're an Alaskan. You're an Alaskan. You're not comfortable in Florida. I had to go to Florida, but you're not comfortable in Florida. Israelis, I don't know how many Israelis are in the room. They moved to America. They, 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 they're always talking about going back to Israel. Even though they were in America, because the signs are not in Ivrit. I'm used to, I'm used to hearing the word Ivrit. I'm not used to America. What do you mean you're not used to America? You have a job, you have a house. But it's not Israel. But, but, but you left Israel. I know, but I, I miss it. Because we are creatures of our environment. And therefore, it was a huge test for Avram Avinu. If you come to me and you say, Rabbi Wallstein, if you move to San Antonio, right? We want you to come there. We want you to open Ornava San Antonio. Five million dollars a year. We're going to pay you $5 million. I'm not making $5 million right now. That's for sure. $5 million a year, two brand new cars, a house like a castle. One month of the year, you don't have to work. We're going to pay your trip to Israel, right? Anywhere you want to go in America, private jet. I'm not going. What do you mean? Why aren't you going? You're not making $5 million a year. No, but this is what I'm used to. I'm used to going to restaurants till 12 o'clock at night. I'm used to going to shul till 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm used to my neighborhood. I'm used to my, I have my children here. I have my family here. There is not a number, there's not a dollar amount you could give me right now that I should move. I'm happy where I am. I don't want to move. But we're giving you $5 million in a house, rent-free. It's yours. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I am used to what I am. I don't want to go. And I'm sure there's many people who had choices to go places, and they're much better jobs and much better places, and you're like... I'm used to teaching in this school. I'm here 20 years. I, I don't want to change schools. But we're going to double your salary. I know, but I know where the coffee maker is. I know where the bathroom is. I know every kid that walks. I know what, by their walk. I know who they are. But we're giving you double the money. Ma, take it. No, I'm not interested. Because we are creatures of our environment. So when a child changes drastically in your class, if you're a teacher, or your child changes drastically, you got to find out at the point of the change what happened. We don't step out. We don't wake up in the morning and say there's no God. And we don't step out of our normal environment voluntarily. Usually someone or something pushed us out, whether it's abuse or it's by girls many times it's not even, it's not physical abuse or sexual abuse, but it's, it's, I just had today a girl that from fifth grade, from fifth grade, Till 10th grade, she was bullied. What does that mean, she was bullied? There was another girl in the class that was, that was her best friend and a very, very, like the girl, had a lot of friends. And in fifth grade, this girl 
girl started becoming this girl's friend. So this girl cut away from her and took all these friends. So from fifth grade till now, she had one friend who stuck by her. And that friend finally had to give up because none of the other girls would talk to her friend because she was her friend and not the other one's friend. To make a long story short, trauma. She ended up boys, street. Nobody touched her. Nobody abused her. But she was bullied for so long that she didn't have an environment anymore because she had no friends in school. To a girl, what's what's life when you're a teenager? Two things: school and friends. If you don't, if you're not doing well in school, or even if you're doing well in school, actually, it's not two things. It's one thing: it's friends. Because you can be the best girl in the class. If nobody talks to you, you, you you're depressed. You're you're in a very bad place. So, so this, this girl finally, at this point. Just couldn't deal with it anymore. Left the school, left everything, right? Because she was being bullied for so many years. So Avram Avinu, even though Hashem told him, you know, where, where he's going, he's going to become famous, he's thinking, why don't you just make me famous where I am? Why do I have to leave my parents, my family, my language, my home, make me famous over here? And the answer, that's why it was such a big nishayin, as big as Akedas Yitzchak. To leave your environment, yeah, because Akedas Yitzchak was a moment. Shech Jishan and it's over. Lech Lecha was for life. He went to a strange land. So to, to change your whole life, it's the same idea as the Kifshan of Eish. To change your whole life is as big a test as, Akedas, as, as, a, as a momentary Akedas Yitzchak. So we are, yes, we are creatures of our environment and, um, I've seen a lot of children that have been pushed out of their environment. And sometimes, and I was telling this to the, we had a PTA meeting in BCA into my high school. So they said, what, what, why did you open this high school for these kids that, you know, um, were out of school and having some tough behaviors? So I said that sometimes the environment they get pushed out of is a very unhealthy environment. Someone in the house is abusing them, whatever it is. So you can't put them back in the environment they came from. So you have to create a, an environment that they can trust and you create a new environment for that person with support, then that's, that's, then, then, then they get comfortable. They first get trust and then they get comfortable and then that's their new environment. Sometimes the environment that the person gets pushed out of, the people who are pushing them out of the environment, they are the environment. So you can't always put them back into that environment. So then you have to create a very loving, supportive, caring environment. And that Baruch Hashem, my high school, really the, the teachers and, and, and everyone who's running that place, is, they're amazing. And there's, there's someone here that knows what I'm talking about because she was in that school. And it's, it's, just, a, it's just a loving environment. And, and, and the, the truth is that once you get pushed out of your environment, you don't trust an environment. So you have to build that trust. Really, there's a saying that you grow up and you become older, you end up becoming like your mother and father. If you're a guy, you, you know, you end up growing up to be your parents. It's the saying. What does that mean? Because that's where you come from. That was your environment. That's what you saw. That's, you know, so, so you end up always trying to recreate that habitat that you came from. If it was a healthy one. If it's not a healthy one, then you don't, you don't want to create that. So this is my proof. When I teach, when I speak to therapists, this is my proof that it's very hard. It's very hard on a person to change their environment. Even Avraham, with God telling him to move and God promising him everything, 
didn't want to. It was a big test. Didn't want to. So it's a, it, it's, it's something that it's very, very important in diagnosis and it's very, very important in teachers. And, and one of the problems that we've having is that the kids end up on the street because all of a sudden the kid is not doing well in school. She's daydreaming. She's not participating. She's not coming to school. So she's beginning to fail. So we pressure the child more. So the kid has already been abused or whatever they went through, which pushed them out of the environment. And when you're out of your environment, you're extremely uncomfortable because you do not recognize the new environment that you're in. And this kid begins to fail. The kid begins to fail, put more pressure on the kid, makes the kid more depressed, and the kid ends up in the street. When if you would have gone back to when the abuse happened or and you would have looked at that graph and you would have fixed it then, the kid would have never ended up would have never ended up in that place. So it's very important to, to understand that people don't just wake up and change. It's not what happens. Something changed them and you need to find that and if you need to, and once you find that you need to correct it. And if you have children you should be protected. Nothing should ever happen to them. But this, you know, and, and whether, whether it's, it doesn't have to be a child, it could be a parent. The, the, the medical world, the physical medical world and the spiritual, emotional world mirror each other. When something happens in your physical body that's drastically different, a person can't move their hand or something very drastic, then we, we don't always look at the hand. We look at the brain. Is there something going on in the brain? In other words, the hand might be a symptom of what's really going on underneath. That's the physical world. And the physical world and the emotional, spiritual world is exactly the same. If something's not working, if a boy just gets up and says, I don't want to put on tefillin, I don't want to daven anymore, something that's not working in the spiritual body, right? That, that's the symptom that there's something much bigger underneath that we have to find and we have to fix. In, in, in the worst disease that we know, when we know what I'm talking about, fixing the symptoms doesn't save the person. You have to go to the source of the disease and you have to either cut it out or chemo it or whatever you have to do. But if you're just going to keep chasing the symptoms, the person's not going to make it. You have to go to the source. You have to find the source. They look at it under a lab. They see where it comes from. They see which organ it comes from. And that's where they put the chemo. They don't put the chemo. They're not after the tumor. They're after where the tumor comes from. And if they could, if they could fix where the tumor comes from, then the tumor will shrink and the tumor will die. But if they just fix the tumor, then it's just going to pop out somewhere else. And it's the same thing in our, in, in the tumors, chas v'shalom, in the spiritual world. When a person is, is not doing well, we have to find out where is that coming from? Why is this girl, who's a Beisaka girl or a from girl or whatever she is, all of a sudden an atheist? You think because she went online and she read something about being atheist? Ten, I could take all of you in this room, you could all go online and read about atheists and you won't become an atheist. Why did she become an atheist? Because there's something else going on. Because she's something else. You, I'm not telling you to read it. You shouldn't read it, right? Because it's just not good for your head. But Lamaisa, why did she, why did why did why did she go online and go to this cult and end up in the worst place in the world? And a thousand other people go online and they don't end up that. Something drove her to that place. Some need, some void, something that she that she's missing drove her to that website. So you got to figure out what drove them. Yes, you found on the computer that she's at a terrible website. What drove her to that website? Why, why did she go there? That's what you have to fix. You fix that. She won't go to the website anymore. You close the website. The alcoholic. You get rid of all the wine in your house, right? 
You get rid of all the symptoms. You get rid of all the wine in the house. You didn't fix the alcoholic. He'll find the wine somewhere else. Fix the alcoholic. You can have all the wine in the house and he won't drink any of it. You have to get to the source. And I think it's a very important lesson in life and a, um, a very important lesson that, that we have in, um, in Pasha's Lech Lecha. Okay, another important lesson that I want to talk about. First of all, very funny. There's a very interesting... Women don't like this measure very much. Um, that's what I'm telling it to you. But seriously, um, it's a very interesting measure that I must read to you. Um, I must read to you from inside because if I read it from, if I say it, you're not going to be happy. So last week we talked about, did we talk about the kid? Yeah, we talked about the kid. He came back. He was dead. And he came back, and Mashiach's coming, everyone's dying, all kinds of scary things. People called me up, is it true, Rabbi Wallerstein? Is my whole family going to die? I have so many relatives that aren't religious, I can't believe they're going to die. They don't really know. I'm like, so go be Makar with them before he gets here. You have to try. But it doesn't say that they're all going to die. We don't know, we're not sure, because... It does say in the, it does say in the Chidah that four-fifths of the Jewish nation will die and only one-fifth will get out like him and try him. But most of the Gedalim say if six million Jews, six million in the Holocaust was exactly four-fifths of all the Jews in the world. So what happened already? So it's not happening again. The Holocaust was what the Chidah said. The Holocaust, the Holocaust was the four-fifths that died. So we don't know. But everybody was all nuts last week. So I told them, I said the following. I said, you need to know that the people who believe in Hashem don't need to hear from this kid coming back from death and telling all these stories. And the people who don't believe in Hashem, no matter what you're going to tell them, they still don't believe in Hashem. So the bottom line is, even though he came back and he saw Mashiach and he saw a lot of things that Desire talked about, um, it don't make a difference if you don't believe. So that's what I said. Everyone who called me, I'm like, listen, bottom line, I don't know if it's true or not. I wasn't there. I don't know. The bottom line is, if you believe in Hashem, you don't need that story. And if you don't believe in Hashem, that story ain't going to help. No, maybe if I play it for my non-religious uh, relatives and they're going to hear what he says, maybe they're going to change. I'm like, no. You don't change because of stories. So it says the following. It says that she... You ready for this? Okay, I'll let read you from inside. Now, I'm, the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm reading you this medrash is not that you should get angry at me, but just the opposite. That you should use this medrash. You'll see. Okay, he says the following. This medrash, you want to look it up. Don't show it to your husbands. It's in Bereshis. Perek Yutes Sifhei. Vatikach Mipiria. This is in uh, when Chava took from the fruit and she gave it to Adam. Vatikach Mipiria. She took from the fruit. Vatoychal and she ate. Omer Rav Ivy. Sochato Anavim. So this is according to the rabbis that hold that the Eitz Hadas was a vine of grapes. Okay. So she took the vine of grapes. Sochato Anavim. She squashed them and she drained them and she made grape juice, wine, right? Vinasolo and 
She gave it to him. Now, we always have this question, right? Why would she give it to him? Right? She already had... Now, so he says on the bottom, She gave them to drink T-Rosh's grape juice. He didn't ask, where did this come from? Right? He didn't ask. So, Rav Samoy says that she didn't really want to trick him because she thought that it's only if you eat the, if Hashem said you can't eat the fruit. But he didn't say you can't drink the derivative of the fruit. Right? She says, no. He says, she said the following. Ma'atosavah. Adam, what do you think? Shani Mesa? That I'm going to die because I ate from the tree? The Chava Acheres Nivreiloch? And Hashem's going to create for you another Chava? Ain't kol chadosh tachas Hashemes. There's nothing new under the sun. Alright, so she was jealous. Like we learned in the Rashi. She said, I'm not going to die and, li- and let you um, live. Or, she said, Oy Shema, maybe, Ani Mesa, I'm going to die. Hashem's not going to make another woman. Va'at Yoshev L'cha Hatelis, and you're going to sit alone in the world and not have any children? Like, what do you think is going on here? If I'm going to die, you're going to die. We got to, you got to drink from this. You got to, you got to drink from this. Okay. Why would, why would Adam drink from this? He knew, he knew this was a big Avera, right? So this is what the Medrash Rabbah says, ladies. Rabbanan Amri, the rabbis say, Hischila miyaleles olav bekoila. She began to scream at him and cry with her voice. He couldn't handle it anymore. She screamed so much that she screamed at him so much. She cried so much. I want you to drink this. Please drink this. You have to drink this. Uh, I don't want to be alone. Right? That she cried him that he couldn't handle it and he, and he, um, and he drank from it. This measure, I didn't know until I learned this measure. Listen to what happened. She gave it. They gave it to every animal. They gave every animal from the Eitzanas. They gave it to every animal, to every wild animal, to all the birds. They all listened to her. She gave it to each one of them. There was one bird in the whole world. And when she came to the bird and said, I want you to eat from the Eitzanas, Every animal ate except this bird. Okay? So that's why all animals die. Because the animals would not have died either had they not eaten from the Eitzadas. So she made sure that we're going to die and there's going to be a bunch of animals left running the world. It's not going to happen. Okay? But there was one bird that didn't. What was the name of the bird? Ushmo Chol. The name of the bird was called Chol. Devei Rav Yanai Amri. Rav Yanai says, because this bird Chol did not eat from the Eitz Adas, Elef Shana Huchai. He lives a thousand years. Ubesayf Elef Shana, at the end of a thousand years, Eish Yotza Mikinoi, a fire goes out. I don't know what Mikino is, his nose? Oh, maybe Kham is like the windpipe? I, I think it's his 
I guess kind of, I think it's his, maybe his pipe. But anyway, it, it comes out and it burns him. Umishtaya by Kebeya, and there's only thing left like an egg. And on this, the, the limbs begin to grow again, and he lives another thousand years. What is the name of this bird in English? Anyone know? It's called the phoenix. Called the what? The phoenix. So in Greek mythology, there was a bird that lived and lived, and then it would it would die, and then it would grow its organs back again, and then it would live for a thousand years, and then it would die. You think they made it up? They didn't make it up. It's a medrash that there was such a bird, and because this bird lives forever, because it did not eat from the eight sadas. What we see from here. What? Harry Potter has it. Yeah, I know that. But, the, but Harry Potter took the phoenix bird, you know, from the, 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 the phoenix was way before then. I mean, it's mentioned in, I think in Greek mythology, maybe even before then. So yeah, what is, forget about Harry Potter. It's here. Okay? So there was such a bird, you never knew this. A bird that lived a thousand years, burnt itself, regrew, lived another thousand years, burnt itself, regrew. Okay. So, so, Be'ayeles Olav Bekoyla is he, she yelled and then she cried. So we see that a woman has a power to make a man do something that he doesn't want to do if she, we'll use the word nags him, okay? What? Bullies. Not bullies, not bullies. She just cries and cries and cries until he, until he gives in. So this, this time that it was used was for a bad, bad thing. But you could, you could cry and bother your husbands enough to make him go learn, and to make him put on tefillin, and to make him go daven, and to make him do good things. The same kayach that she used to make him do bad things, you see the kayach of a woman, that she, Adam was created by Hashem's hand. He wasn't human, right? I mean, he was, he was human, but he wasn't human. He wasn't born, right? So a person on that level, his wife was able, by crying and crying and crying, and finally he gave in, it's such a huge kayach. So instead of using it for the bad thing, you know, you could do this for the good thing. Maybe that's why a woman has a kayak of crying to Hashem. You could cry enough to Hashem that he says yes. Maybe that's where the kayak comes from. But we see here that she, that's what, you know, that's what she did. But anyway, so I want, I want to, so, so everybody was bothering me last week. So I want to, um, I want to read you this Zaya because it's, it's so, so true. So the Zaya says the following. So at the end of last week's Pasha, as we were talking about Orkazdom, so it says, I think it's the last possible, not the last possible, but it says that Haran, Avram Avinu had a brother, and his name was Haran. And Haran died in front of his father's face. Haran died in his father's, in front of his father's face. Buur Kazdim, in Ur Kazdim. Okay? So, the question is, why did Haran die? The Torah tells us that Haran died in front of his father. What's, what's going on over here? What's the story? So the story is that Abraham Avinu was in the fire and everybody saw that he wasn't getting burnt. He was saying, There's only one God that created a sea. You can put me in a fire. Nothing happens to me. He was very comfortable, right? He was eating. He was drinking. He was, he was fine. There was no problem, right? So he was making the biggest Kiddush Hashem, the biggest miracle, a fire that, that if people would walk, would, would walk up to the fire, that they, they would burn, right? He was in that fire, and he wasn't dying, and he's saying to everybody, you see, my God saved me, 
the biggest kid is Hashem. So how could anybody watching this, right, a man in a fire, in such a crazy fire, how could anyone not believe in Hashem? So listen to what the Zoyar says happened. What happened to Haran, Avram Avinu's brother? So he says the following. He says that Haran was that Haran was standing next to the fire. He saw Avram in the fire, and the people were saying in Kazdim, Kazdim was they were called Kazdim or Kazdim. They were saying that the reason that Avram Avinu is not dying has nothing to do with God. There is no God. There's no such thing. But that Haran, his brother, who served Avodizara, would be very hurt if his brother died. So the Avodizara of Haran saving Avram. So he's Avram Avinu in a fire. He's telling everyone that Hashem's saving me. He's preaching God since he's three years old, right? So it's the biggest miracle. Hashem's making the biggest miracle. Instead of saying, wow, there's a God, they're saying, no, the reason he's not dying is because Haran, his brother, serves all these idols, and the idols don't want Haran to lose his brother. So Hashem said, I'll teach you all the lesson, and he sent the fire, says the Zayar, Yotza shall have his age, a fire came out of the Kirshan of age, the sulfur is Haran, and it burnt Haran. And the Zayar goes on, listen to this. That's one Zayar. The other Zayar says, no. Doesn't say that a fire came out of the furnace and burnt Haran. That's not what happened. It says that Haran was thrown into the furnace or jumped into the furnace. So he says the following. And this is what I was trying to say last week. If you don't believe, if you don't believe in Hashem, if you don't believe, if you don't want to believe, then no matter what you're going to see, right? I deal with these kids all the time. No matter what you're going to say, the best, biggest doctors. I had such a year to her. My mother, had a cataract removed, had a cataract removed. So the doctor she went to is the number one eye, eye surgeon in, 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 in New York. Right? He's in nose eye, whatever, in a big, so he, he's like, this, he's got these plaques all over the world, best doctor for magazines and with movie stars. He's like a famous, famous eye doctor and he's Jewish. Not religious at all. He doesn't know, like, he says a couple of Jewish words here and there, whatever it is. And he does the most complicated surgeries on the eye, right? I was dying to ask him, do you believe in God? I just, I just didn't feel in the right position to ask him the question. I was dying to ask him, to, but probably not. Probably not. So, so how could you be a, a heart doctor, a brain doctor, a surgeon, and the Gemara says, how could, you, how could you know the human body, right? And, and not knowing that everything has to work perfectly, or you're, or, right? Chalulim, chalulim, How could you look at a human body and deny God? The, the, the greatest, the, the greatest, I don't use the word greatest, the biggest, greatest atheist in the whole world, in the whole world, who writes books on atheism, is the most, one of the most brilliant men in the world, right? He writes books on physics. He's a physics professor. He's got a crazy IQ. He sees the physics in the world. He sees gravity. He sees that outside of Earth there is no gravity. He sees how a Kodesh had to create the world that you should be able to fly. That a plane 
can only fly because there's, there's a certain amount of inertia. I'm not going to show off that I know anything. But there's a certain amount of inertia when the plane takes off. And there's a certain amount of headway against it. And, and that's the, the wind against it and the wind forward. And that's what lifts the, the wings. And, and in a place of gravity, a plane could not, a plane could not take off. In space, it's because they have that inertia coming out of Earth that makes them go. So, so he created a world of gravity. And, and, and we don't, and the guy who studies it is the biggest atheist in the world. Because if you don't, if you don't want to see, if you don't want to see, you can do the biggest miracles in the world. So what happened over here? So the Zoya says that when they threw Abraham Avinu into the fire and he didn't die, they said that who was Abraham's father? Terach. Terach was, had the Avoid Zorah store. Right? He was the biggest in Avoid Zorah. So they said, Terach, because he served all these idols and he had an idol store, his children are protected from fire. The, the idols will never allow his children to die. So that Avram is not dying is only because he's Terach's son. We'll show you. We're going to throw his other son in. And you'll see he won't burn either. But he burnt up in a second because that wasn't the reason that Avram didn't burn. The reason that Avram didn't burn was because of Hashem. So it says that actually after they threw Haran into the fire and they saw that he burnt, they realized that they weren't being protected because of Terach. And then many people from Kazdim followed Avram Avinu. Those were the people that he made in Haran. But that's why it says that Haran died in his father's face. Haran, the story says, Haran died because of his father. They threw him in because they were saying, oh, Tarach, Abraham is his kid, he's going to be saved. So they took his other kid, Haran, and they threw him in. Now, who was Haran's kid? Do we know who Haran's kid is here? Lot. Nachar. Wasn't Sarah from Nachar? Uh, let's see. Lot was Ben Haran. There's Lot Ben Haran. Ben Beno. Sarai Kalosai. Ashes Avram. Hold on. No. Um. The wife of Nachar, which was Avram's brother, was Milka, Bas Haran. Okay, so Nachar married his niece. Okay, Avi Milka, Avi Yiska, Yiska Zusara. So, so Sarah was Haran's daughter. No, Sarah and Sarah and Lot. No, Lot was a nephew. Lot wasn't a brother-in-law. He was a brother-in-law also because he married his niece. Right. So it's just interesting. The Medrash doesn't say anything. I never saw an answer to this. Why did they throw Haran in? Why did they throw Nachar in? Avram Avinu had two brothers, Nachar and Haran. Right? So they thought that the children of, Avram, of, of Terach won't burn. So they took Haran and they threw him into the fire. 
why did they pick Haran to throw him into the fire instead of Nacha to throw him into the fire? So the Medrash pretty much says that, that Haran jumped into the fire. Because he thought that he'd also be saved and that he would be as famous as Ram Avinu. So he jumped into the fire. So maybe he jumped into the fire. If you want to put the Medrash together with the Zayar, he jumped into the fire because he also thought that Terach, the reason that, that Abraham Avinu was being saved, not because of God, but because of Terach, his father. Anyway, the bottom line is that the Zayar is saying that no matter what you see in front of you, the greatest miracles, the greatest everything, at the end of the day, if you don't believe, you will not believe. Abraham Avinu is being saved and they're screaming, it's because of Abayi Zayar, it's because of Terach. And therefore, all these stories that you hear, the bottom line is, at the end of the day, if you believe in Hashem, with the, with, you'll believe without the story. Then if you don't believe in Hashem, the stories are not going to help. Okay? It's, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the message. Okay, one other thing in this week's Pasha, we'll end with this. So, I call this the Pasha of Tznius. So, if we go to the famous story, which I try to find an answer, it's still a big question. Abraham Avinu told her to say that she's his sister. How come that's not a lie? So, okay, for, for, um, to save your life, you're allowed to lie. But they're not saying that he lied, that it, that it was a lie. So there's a whole thing that she was his niece. So a niece is like a sister, whatever. It's not so clear, you know, why he said that. But Lemaisa, he didn't know her beauty, right? He didn't know her beauty, which is a very big question that my girls in high school had, like, how do you marry someone and not know what they look like? Halakhically, you have to know what they look like. So we have a Badekin. Right? Why do we have a Badekin? Because he switched Rachel Balea. But he didn't have to have a Badekin because he lived before Rachel Balea of Ramavino. So there was no switch. So he didn't need to have a Badekin. But the Maisha, when you're, when you're kind of a woman, when you, when you, when you make Kedushin, you have to know what she looks like. You have to take one second, you have to take a look. So, so how come he didn't know what she looked like, right? He said, now I realize how beautiful you are, right? What do you mean now? So everybody says that they were some water, at some lake and getting water at some whatever in some oasis. She uncovered her face to get the, um, to get the drink and he saw her reflection. He saw her reflection in the, in the, what's it called? In the, in the water and he said, wow, very nice, no? It's a beautiful person. And Abraham Avinu said to Sarai, his wife, He nay no, behold, Yodati I know, Ki isha yifas mara'at. Abraham Avinu is talking romantic. And I know that you're a very beautiful woman. Beautiful, right? So they asked the Kasha, what do you mean? He didn't know when he married her that she was beautiful? So the, the Chida brings down that he was saying to her, listen to this compliment. He was saying, of course I knew you were beautiful, but travel, when a person travels, and their hair is blowing in the desert, and there's no makeup, Right? He said, you're a natural beauty. That we're traveling in the desert because they were coming from a, uh, uh, there was no rain. So they, they were coming from a hunger. And he said, now I realize. In other words, I always knew you were beautiful, but to, to travel and to look like that? He didn't know. Now in the desert we're traveling? Now I know that you're beautiful. And he, he knew, he knew that the, that the, that Mitzrayim was going to take, how, how do you know that? I mean, it's very nice. I think she was about 75 years old now. At this point, so it's very nice to think that your wife is the most beautiful woman in the world, but sort of Paro had a harem, 
with thousands of women, young women, Chinese, black, Italian. He had a harem of every woman in the world, the most beautiful woman. So it's like, like Avram, like, let's, like, it's very nice to write this in the Torah, but like, why are you thinking that the king is going to take your wife? Because she's so beautiful, like, there's, she's married for a long time and, and he has a harem full of beautiful women. Why did Avram think? And I'm going to explain to you why. So he said, he said, Right? When the, when the, um, Mitzvah are gonna see you, tell them they're gonna kill me, they're gonna take you, right? He said, What happens? He was right. But he came by Avram Mitzrayma, she was in a box. He was trying to hide her from them. But when you came to the border, you had to pay taxes. They opened the box. Behold, there was a woman. A very beautiful woman. But you say, Sarei Para. And the, 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 the sarim of the, the workers of Paro, right? They saw her by Yahalaluisa. They were like, whoa! By Yahalu comes from the word Halal. They were like, wow! They were praising her. Like, we never saw anything like this, right? By Yahalaluisa. El Paro, they ran to Paro and they said, we just saw a woman. They praised her to Paro. Oh, he said, such a beautiful woman. But Tukachisha, let's go take her base paro to paro. Hanavram know this is going to happen. And it's very nice to think your wife's so beautiful, but like he came up with all kinds of stories, you're gonna kill me. Like, how did he know this? And I and I gave a long share this week to my seminary on this on this subject. She was totally covered from head to toe. He didn't see her until she untook the, I don't know what you call that thing that they wear, took, she, she pulled it back and he saw her face, that's what Avram said. So she was a tsnua. You're talking about Sari Menu. She's not dressed, dressed provocatively. She's covered from head to toe. What did Avram think that these Mitzrim are gonna see that they're gonna go crazy and they're gonna run and bring her to Paro? And, and not only that, Vayahalullah, listen carefully, they praised her. Not her beauty. What's the word? By Yahalalu Isa El Paro. They praised her to Paro. Not by Halo Es Yafya. They praised like, wow, her beauty. They praised her to Paro. And that's when Paro said, this is who I want. The same thing happened much later on. There's a connection between Esther and Sarah. It says there's a connection because Sarah lived 127 years and Esther was a queen over 127 countries. So there was a connection between the two. And the same thing happened by her. Mordechai knew that Achishverosh was going to take Esther. Now, every single girl, it says, was six months in perfume and oil, right? And, 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 and six months in, in, in makeup and six months in oil. So that when she came to Akashvera, she would look gorgeous. She, Esther, told, hey guy, no oil, no perfume, no makeup. And, and, and it's brought down in the measures that she had a green complexion. And she wasn't even so, so pretty. Uh, but Mordechai knew that the minute Akashvera would see her, and what does it say in the passage? And he put a scepter out to her. All the beautiful women... All the beautiful Persian women from all over the world he had. He picked this Jewish girl, no makeup, no provocative clothing, no oil, no perfume. And Mordechai knew the minute he sees her, he's going to take her. What's going on? Mordechai knew 
Avraham knew. What? What did they praise to Paro about Sarah? She definitely was not provocative. And the answer is, and this is what I told my, 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 my seminary girls this week. When Hashem created us, so there was no Yetzirah, we didn't have a Yetzirah. So it's brought down, I'm telling you a little Zoya, a little bit Medrash. So it's brought down that we weren't dressed, right? We weren't dressed. So the Lohiz Baishashu, they weren't embarrassed. Why weren't they embarrassed? Every animal has, has, has fur and it's like sort of dressed. And we were not dressed. So it says in the Zayah that Adam and Chava were so holy that they had an aura of light coming from them. And the light was so bright that they couldn't see each other's body parts. In other words, they were clothed, but not in clothes. They were clothed in light. How do we know this? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful Zayah. We know this because there is one word. There's the, the Torah, if the Torah, if there's one letter in the Torah spelled wrong, say for Torah, say for Torah is no good. If you an alpha, you wrote an I, and if you forgot a word, you put an extra letter, the Torah is no good. It brings down that when Mashiach comes, Hashem will change one letter. One letter in the Torah. I think it's Rabbi Meir that says it. He will change one letter in the Torah. What's that letter? In Pasha Bereshis. It's a letter like this. Hashem made for Adam and Chava leather clothing. Hashem will make for them um, leather clothing. And he will dress and he will clothe them. Says Rav Meir, R and R plays, there's two words, R. Aleph Vav Reish, which is light. Ayin Vav Reish, which is leather. Before they did the Avera, they were clothed in a clothing of light. So you couldn't see each other's body parts because there was this light coming from them. But once they ate from the Eitz and Das, the light went away. When the light went away, they were embarrassed because they saw each other's body parts. So because Baruch Hu said, I'm going to give you back R, but I'm not going to give you back the R with the Aleph. I'm going to give you back the R with the Ayin. But when Mashiach comes, what he says, when Mashiach comes, we will once again be clothed in that light, and therefore the Torah will change the ayin to an aleph. So, so what I was telling these girls is that there is an aura, right? There's a chain. Sorry, Imenu was covered. She didn't have to go out with a short skirt, a tight skirt. She didn't have to put on crazy lipstick and crazy high heels and all that other stuff. It was just the opposite. She was extremely modest. So what did, why did Paro like her? All the other girls were very provocative. He says, because chain is the, is the most attractive thing in a human being. Because chain is godly. When a person gets undressed and they wear less clothing and tight clothing, they're removing their spiritual being and they're showing off their animal being. Then you're no different than an animal. Once a person, right, what's the difference between a human being and, 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 and an animal? So, so, so the difference is that we're spiritual and we're emotional and animals are not spiritually emotional. So Akash Baruch Hu said to Adam and Chava, not only did he give them clothing, but he dressed them. In other words, he should have given them the leather clothing, get dressed. They can't get dressed. He dressed them from head to toe. He, he was telling them that, that, that I want you, I'm giving you back your humanity, so cover your nakedness. Because your nakedness is your animalistic part. And that's not something to show off to the world, because actually, the animals are much prettier than you. Uh, a leopard has much nicer skin than we do, and a zebra has much nicer skin than we do. If we were in the zoo, and the animals were going, they wouldn't come to visit us, to look at us. 
We would have an empty Bronx Zoo. If human beings were in the cages, the animals would never come and say, wow, cats are like, look at me, I got fur, black, white, spots, dots, right? So, so, so we, as human beings, are just the opposite. The more we cover up our animalistic part, the more we're showing off our spiritual part. What makes us different than the animal. And since the Kishboku put that clothing on, we've been trying to take it off. Since that time, by Yabi shame, we were, we were trying to take it off. So I was telling the girls, if you think, if you think that, that, that he were Goyim, they weren't Jews, they were Goyim, Achashverot, low life, low life Persian king. You're talking about Paro with a harem. They saw the beauty in a Jewish girl who was totally covered, everything covered. She didn't even have, she had her eyes open, that's it. They saw the beautiful beauty in a, in a Jewish girl who was totally tznua, who was totally covered, and, 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 and you want to show the beauty of your body? That's what you think is beautiful? When a guy was able to see that? Allah has come up, So one of the girls said, yeah, but you know what? When you go to a wedding, the girl who's got the tight skirt and the high heels, the guys are all looking at her. So it's very nice what you're saying, Rabbi Alston, but at the end of the day, when you're in a crowd, that's who the boys are looking at. And I'm like, that's right. And those are the boys you don't want to marry. Because if that's what you're selling, and that's what they're buying, then 10 years later, when they have a young girl secretary working for them, if they're buying body parts, then they'll look for better body parts. But if they're buying, if they're attracted to you, and you're covered, and you're shaming the gear, and they're attracted to you for who you are, then that, that you know, like I said, emotional relationships end up becoming physical in a healthy way. Physical relationships don't end up becoming emotional. So girls who think that by dress, dressing provocative and not being Shemin and I'm going to get this guy because I'm not going to be Shemin and that's how I'm going to get this guy, you're fools. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Yeah, you'll get him for a moment, but he's not sticking because he's a body part buyer. So the girl who comes to me after five years and she's like, my husband's having an affair, I'm like... That's what you, that's, that's what you gave to him. When, that's what you offered him. That's what he bought. So now, he's still in the same business. He just didn't change the business. That's all. He just found someone else. Sorry, Emmanuel understood and, and, and Avram Avinu understood that the beauty, this Mitzri who his whole day is in flesh. He's in, he's in human bodies. He's busy with all these women. And this woman's gonna walk in totally dressed and covered. And he's gonna see the chain on his face. He is going to take her. By Yahalala. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't praise her about her beauty. They praised her. That she was a tsnua. That she was a sorry maid. They praised her. They didn't praise her body. So these men who were busy a whole day in, in physical, all of a sudden saw this spiritual holy woman. Avram Avinu knew he's gonna take her. He's not gonna let her go. Mordechai knew that Achashverus is gonna pick her. So I'm like, girls, if Goyim can see this, what's wrong with you? Why are you getting dressed like that? You, the person that you're attracting is the animal. The animal, in the animal world, he stays with his mate for a little while, and then he finds another mate. If that's the world you want to live in, guys don't stick. The, the male lion don't stick. None of them stick. They leave. It's the mother that takes care. So this, this is the pasha of a tsnua. You have a woman who is an older woman walking into a place of Young, beautiful women, and the and the king wants her. Yes, the king wants her because Jewish girls don't realize not your bodies, but you have chain. A Jewish woman has chain. 
And, and that is something that is so attractive. But if you're showing the other parts, then no one sees the chain. You're busy looking at everything else. That's a very big lesson from this week's parasha. And girls make this mistake all the time. They have low self-esteem, and they think that's all they have to offer. It's the wrong guy. Yes, you're supposed to be, you know, somebody called me up today with a crazy phone call, a woman that I know, and she goes to a gym, and she wants not to put on any makeup, she wants to wear schlumpy clothing, right, and she wants to look really bad. I said, why do you want to look really bad? She said, because I don't want other people to be jealous of, of me. So I'm going to wear schlumpy clothing, I'm going to look like a rag. And we wear raggy clothing, I'm like, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. A Jewish girl has to take care of herself. She has to look presentable. She's the daughter of a Kurdish Baruch Hu, but not provocative. But she has to, she has to make her hair. She has to look like a mensch. You don't want the world to say Jews are slobs. And they're disheveled and their women are, don't take care of themselves. No, it doesn't say that anywhere in the Torah. It says you have to cover yourself, but a person has to take care of themselves. Take a shower, they have to blow dry their hair, they have to look like a mensch when they walk into the world. I said, absolutely not. You cannot go to the gym and, and look like a rag. You cannot, that's not, that's not, it's not for self-esteem and you're not allowed, you're not allowed to look like that. You're, you're a Tzalem Kim. You know, you have to take care of yourself. You can't be provocative, but you have to be a, you have to be a Tzalem Kim. You have to take care of your health and you have to take care of yourself 100%. So I told her no. She said, no, I'm, I, I think you're wrong. I'm like, listen, you're asking me. You have to look like a mensch. You're not, don't worry about other people being jealous of you. <laughs> to be, you don't have to, you don't have to put on your rings and red lipstick and, uh, and, 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 and tight clothing show that other people are trying to lose weight that you lost the weight. No, that, you, that you should not do. But you don't have to just dress in rags and my hair should be ugly. She said, I should, I should look like a witch and then no one's going to look at me. I'm like, no, it doesn't say we're in the Torah. You should look like a witch. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. You see Rebbitsons of Gedolim. They take, they, they're, they're dressed and they're here that they're taken care of. They're royalty. Girls, you're royalty. A Jewish girl, you're royalty. There's a certain way a person who's royal walks. And there's a certain place. Tzniyus is not just, just your clothing. People from the royal family, they talk a different way. And they walk a different way. And they have manners. It's, just, it's a different person. And that's, that's a Bas Yisrael. That's a Sara Imenu. That's a Esther Hamalka. And that's what we learned from him by Yahalullah, that they took this Jewish woman and they came to the king and they praised her. And they praised her, who she was. And, and that's what we have to be proud of. And the Gaisha world is, we're following them and we're doing like, you know, doing the craziest things, the craziest things. People are following them. Even boys, you know, with the skinny pants and all that, I'm not getting any shit on it. I'm not going to start, I'm not, I don't want to start any trouble. But the way boys get dressed today, it's crazy. They wear these pants that you have to, it's like wallpaper. To peel it off them, and then they have these, 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 they got these socks that, I don't know, the craziest colors in the whole world. And we're like, guys, like, what's going on over here? Who, what movie star, what, what, the uh, rock con, what, like, where did this come from? Wear normal pants, like, you know? Uh, I'll end with this, even though I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I will talk about it. I'll end with this very, it's cute, but very sad story. So this, uh, the reason I'm talking about skinny pants, and, and of course, I know, I'm going to get a bunch of emails. Sure, because you can't wear them. Okay, fine. All right. You know, that'll be the first email. Sure, you made fun of them. But no, but you're not supposed to go in the way of the guy. You're going to show you have these pants that, that, that mamish. So, so why am I talking about it? Uh, yes, it's not the major thing. And Ray Wallace, that's what you're worried about. We got kids on drugs. and kids not keeping showers. And skinny pants you're worried about. I'm like, what's the source? That's the symptom. What's the source? 
What, where's that coming from? Why, why are you wearing socks that, that look like the Halloween pumpkins? Like, what's going on? What, what are you doing? Like, what, what's going on? Where's that coming from? In other words, it's not the socks. It's not the skinny pants. That's the symptom. But where's it coming from? So if it's coming from because I want to look like the movie store or the guy, then we have a big problem. Because even in Mitzrayim, we didn't do that. We didn't change our clothing. It's a joke. I once gave a class to non-religious people. And I was telling you that there were three things that in Mitzrayim that saved us. Right? And the reason that we left Mitzrayim was for these three things. So the first thing I said is, number one, we didn't change our clothing. They're like, of course they threw you out of Mitzrayim if you were there for 210 years and you never changed your clothing. I'm like, no, no. They changed their clothing, but they didn't change their mode of dress. Okay? You have to be very careful, you know, how you say things. So, so I'll, I'll tell you what happened. It's very sad. It's very sad. It's very funny. And it's very sad, but it's very true. And, and we have to, we have to stop following the Goyim. So, I'm sitting next to this principal, wherever we were. He says, Rabbi, I know you like stories. I gotta tell you a crazy story that just happened in my school. I'm like, okay. He says, we have this third grade, this third grade mother calls up to school and says to me, he's the principal, he says, he says, I'm having a problem. I want to meet you and the teacher and I need to meet you today. Okay? He knows the parent. He says, okay, come down. She comes into the office. He calls the Rebbe and the Rebbe, the mother and the principal. And I told him I'm going to say over the story. And she says to the Rebbe, you know, Two days ago, my son came home, and his pants were wet. He wet his, his pants were wet. She said, "My my son's not a uh, he's not a bedwetter. He's not he doesn't wet his pants." I said, "You know what? Okay, maybe on the bus, he, he, you know, he couldn't make it home. I don't know, whatever it is." She goes, "But then, yesterday, he came home again with his pants are wet." She says, "I'm not saying the Rebbe's. You know, I, I, I know that sometimes kids." Because of anxiety and there's pressure and maybe there's a big test or maybe kids are bullying him. So I wanted to ask the Rebbe, with you present, are there kids bullying him? Are you giving a test that he's very anxious? So he, he's waiting. I, I, I want to know, you know, what's going on? What's going on in your class? My son didn't do this in first grade. He didn't do this in second grade. The Rebbe starts to laugh. She says, what's so funny? The principal's like, oh my God, like what? She, 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 says, she, she says, what's so funny? This is not funny. This is very serious. He says, listen, I'll tell you the truth. I, I didn't want to get involved in this because, you know, today you don't want to talk about a kid and why, why, how do you know he wet his pants? Like, you don't want to, you don't want to get involved. He said, I didn't want to get involved, but I have to tell you the truth. He said, yesterday, when I saw that his, his pants were wet, I, I went over to him and I said, listen, we'll make up a name. Michesko, do me a favor. Don't wait till the last minute to raise your hand. When you feel you have to go, raise your hand because you don't seem to be making it to the bathroom, right? The boy says, no, no, no. He's a third grader, a little kid. He goes, no, no, no. I, I raised my hand in time. He says, so, so the mother says, so what happened? He says, my pants are too tight. I, I couldn't open them. I, could, I couldn't get them down. <laughs> he, was wearing, he was wearing these skinny pants that today some parents are buying girls' pants that are so tight, right? So, so... The mother's sitting there, she's like, why didn't you tell me that they're too tight? He says, my other friends have these also, so I, 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 I didn't know what to do. So the principal looks at her and says, this is, this is how you send your child to yeshiva? And you want to know what we're doing wrong? 
you put on a pair of pants like this that he can't even open because why? Because some actor, some idiot got up there and put on a pair of pants like that. So it's not only sneers by women, it's by men also. It's like, it's like so out of hand because we think that if we're gonna look like them and we're gonna, right, that we're gonna, we're gonna be beautiful. That's what, that's what's gonna make us beautiful. No, what makes us beautiful is that we have chen. What makes us beautiful is that we are the children of Akkadish Baruch Hu. We are the Tzalem Aleikim. That is the beauty. That was the beauty of Sari Menu. And when Sari Menu dies, when she's 127 years old, the Torah says, why does it say 120 and 7? Because she was as beautiful at 100 as she was at 20, and she was beautiful at 20, she was at 7. Does that mean that she didn't have any wrinkles and whatever? It means that her chain, her beauty, the chain of a child, right? You look at a child's face, the chain of someone who's not polluted, Right, who's pure and innocent. There's a certain chain that when you look at a child, you, you see that chain. She had that chain until she was 127. It never changed. Because she was a snua. The more you cover the animal, the more you see the human. And that's a very big lesson from the Sikh's Pasha. May we all be Zaychab as Rat Hashem to see a Sarah Imeno and Aram Avinu very soon. See us at Mason. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.